0: This week we continue our study in a series that I've titled Restoration. And I've uh, made it known each week that that word restoration means to restore something to an earlier condition. There's nothing like taking something and repairing it and remodeling it. Uh, One of my latest projects is a truck, and uh, a truck that's 35 years old, and it was so dirty I didn't know what was under the paint. And there's nothing like taking that scum off it and and clay barring it and taking all the impurities out of the paint and just watching it pop. You know what that is like to have a new vigor, what it's like to revive something, to have new life. And Paul makes it very clear in the book of Philippians that it is God's desire that we go through a restoration, that we are supercharged with a new life and we are revived in our homes, in our schools, in, in our places of work, in our marriage. And God wants to restore the church. And you and I are the ones who make up the church. And so therefore, there's a continuous work that is going on in our lives. Matter of fact, one of the key verses of the book of Philippians is that of six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you feel like you're in a state of despair, you feel like you're struggling, that there's areas in your life that you would sure like to see improve, don't give up. God is there. He is the master builder. He is not through with us yet. And the Lord will touch your heart. The Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will give you grace. Today, as we, as we come together, we um, continue our time of looking at the Word of God in the book of of Philippi. And uh, it's an interesting switch that's happening today because today we continue this examination of Paul's letter to the Philippians, but we come to a point in the letter where Paul appears to suddenly change the subject. And uh, he speaks a little bit um, on the terms of a travel agent. He is going to talk about traveling and the plans for two of his co-workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, I'm glad that uh, Harold started off with a mistake today because you don't find too many guys by the name of Epaphroditus. And I may say it a little different each time, but uh, i trying to remember it the best I can. Um, Epaphroditus was... Uh, was one of the great workers that worked along beside the Apostle Paul. And so the whole text that involves this segment that we're looking at today is in the second chapter of Philippians in verses 19 through 30. And I believe that Paul, as he wrote from his prison cell, I believe that he was deliberately lifting up two men as living examples of what He had been teaching in his letter to the Philippian church. We are going to look at the lives of two men and we are going today to read uh, what Paul had to say to them in relationship to the challenges that he was facing there in the church of Philippi. He has to this point, as we have studied this book, he has instructed them to live a life worthy of the gospel. He's instructed them to face persecution with joy and to be humble servants who put the needs of others ahead of their own needs. These are subjects that we have looked at in this process of restoration. And Paul had already used both Jesus and himself as examples of these principles. And I think Paul understood the attitude of the church of Philippi because I believe that Paul had figured and and understood them enough that they were discounting their ability to follow such examples of Paul himself and Jesus. And sometimes we can write those examples off as well. And today I want to encourage you to stay tuned into the word of God because maybe Paul was aware of people saying something like, man, it's impossible for us to follow the example of Paul and Jesus. There's no way that I can do that. After all, Jesus Christ is the very son of God and Paul is this special apostle that's given great power and spiritual experience. I'm just a regular guy. How can I do that? I'm just a regular woman who tries to study God's word and, and to pray and, and to be a person that, uh, that honors the things of the Lord. And it's, I'm not a spiritual gi- giant. And perhaps to overcome that kind of thinking, Paul brings to their attention two ordinary men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were obviously not divine individuals, nor were they apostles. Timothy and and Epaphroditus were ordinary people who served in ordinary or extraordinary ways, spiritually. And in the church... There has always been and there will always be a need for more people who are willing to work. We have vacancies now. We have places to serve. And there's always a place to sacrifice to accomplish God's mission. And we must be unified in order to accomplish God's mission, especially today, not only in our church, but in the Christian world, the church with a capital C. We must be unified in spreading the gospel and standing firm on God's word. But sometimes, however, I notice that people don't get involved because they think that's someone else's responsibility. Somebody else can do that job. Somebody else can take over from there. They remind me of a couple guys that were shipwrecked, and they were in a leaky lifeboat. And this particular leaky lifeboat from... From one end of the lifeboat, this pair of men sat there and they watched those at the other end bail frantically to keep that boat afloat. It was taken in water. And then one of the two said to the other, man, I'm so thankful that the hole is not in our end of the boat. And today, I remind you, we're all in the same boat as Christians. You know, we love each other, we care for each other. And when and if there's a hole in our congregation, it affects us. When there's a hole in our spiritual drive, it affects us all. And the solution becomes the responsibility of all of us. Not to say, I thank God that the hole is not in my end of the boat. You can sit here comfortably and you can enjoy these services. and You can uh, have a wonderful time. And those of you that are watching... Well, many that are working around you, a team of techs, they need help, and we need people to help them. You see, there's a hole in the boat, and we must all pitch in. My goal today is for all of us to be encouraged by the example of these two men, Timothy and Epithetis. And I hope that you'll be inspired. I hope that you'll be challenged to follow their example as we study their lives and we see what kind of individuals that the Apostle Paul hung out with. And before we look more closely at the service of these two men, let me just give you a quick review to bring us up to date where Paul is. You remember, as he writes this book, he's under house arrest. He's in in Rome. He's awaiting for the opportunity. For his case to come, not before Judge Judy, but before Caesar. And he's waiting for the outcome. And depending on that outcome of Paul's appeal, he hopes to go and visit this church in Philippi. That's his desire. But he's got to get out of this prison. And in the meantime, Paul had wanted to send Timothy. Timothy to Philippi with the letter that we're studying. And he wanted Timothy to bring this letter to Philippi. So Timothy then, as a result of that in his trip, could return and come back and tell Paul, give him a thumbs up or they got problems there in Philippi. And so Paul is really um, tuning in for this, but he changes plans. And Paul changes these plans and he wants to wait and send Timothy later. He wants to wait until his sentence comes in. He wants to wait to see what the judge is going to say and the outcome of his his appeal. But Paul decides not to wait to send the letter. With Timothy, this letter is important. This letter needs to leave right now. So he decides to send Epaphroditus. And immediately with this letter to the uh, Philippians at their church. And as Paul explains these plans... In the letter into the church, he commends the godly characteristics of these men. Now, that's where the key is today. In expository preaching, you know, you preach as the scripture comes. It'd be easy to jump over this. It'd be easy to, to, um, to kind of ignore. But there's a message here for you and I. In the characteristics of these individuals, how can we apply them to our life? These are men that are examples, and purposely he wanted to send them to the church as examples of Christ-like behavior. Remember I said he, he, he was struggling with the thought that maybe these guys at Philippi were thinking, we can't be like Jesus, we can't be like Paul. So he sends a couple ordinary people like you and I today to go and to address this congregation. Let's examine the specific things that Paul said about this dynamic duel. The first one I want to look at is Timothy. Timothy is referred to as Paul's son in the faith. You see, Paul nurtured him. He was an example to him. Paul probably met Timothy when he came to to Lystra during the first missionary journey, which can be found in Acts, the 14th chapter. And Timothy likely became a Christian at that time that Jesus Christ entered his heart. Timothy's mother and grandmother, they had been religious Jews. They had been individuals who became Christians. There's very little said about Timothy's father, who was a Gentile, and for whatever reason, he was not involved in the biblical account at all. So we know little about his dad. Several years later, when Paul returns to Lystra, On his second missionary journey, he enlists young Timothy to join him as a co-worker, as a a missionary uh, co-worker on a missionary tour. It's like an MA that we have today, missionary associate. And from then on, Paul and Timothy, they enjoy this wonderful spiritual friendship and relationship, which was much like a father and son relationship. So they grow together. And in our text today, we're going to look at how Paul describes Timothy to the church in Philippi. Timothy just is going to show up one day, and so he says, first of all, he describes Timothy as a concerned man. If you look at the text in, in uh, Philippians second chapter, the 20th verse, "I have no one else like him," Paul says. Who will show genuine concern for your welfare? This guy is going to be concerned about you. Timothy cared about people, the people of Philippi. He was concerned about their needs. Timothy was genuinely interested in other people. He wasn't just playing a role or seeking some personal benefit. He wasn't doing it just for himself. He truly cared about people. Now, Paul said that he had no one like him. I mean, that's the highest praise. That's like you saying, uh, talking about somebody in your corporation or that works for you, and you give them a reference, which is the high praise indeed. I have no one like him. Now, references today are pretty tricky. I, every week I am filling out references and for various reasons, uh, most of them have to do with credentialing processes. People uh, need a reference in order to get their credentials and their license to, for ministry and so on. Others may be a past employee, and we're told today that if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. And there's statements that uh, that are out there that have double meaning meanings. For an example. Um, an employee that you used to have that didn't get along with other workers, you can write, I'm pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. That has a double meaning, you know, former colleague, or if the employee's not worthy of the new job that he's seeking, you can also say, I would urge you to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of employment. Now, you got to think about that a little bit. These double meanings on how to write references. Uh, A person that lacks the credentials or the know-how to do the job and you have some fear as they are applying for this position. All in all, I cannot say enough good things about this candidate or recommend him too highly. Okay, think about that one a little bit. Someone who's not uh, a hard worker might be recommended this way. In my opinion... You will be very fortunate to get this person to work for you. Now, you understand that one. And then finally, somebody who's got a weak resume, they're um, a weak person. I most enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. Double meanings. No double meaning in what the Apostle Paul says. He says, there's no one like this guy. You're going to like him. There's no one that uh, can match up to him. There's no one that can do the job like Timothy. Wouldn't you like to have that said of you? I would. I want people to know me as somebody who can do the job. And how genuine is your concern for other people? Are you saying, boy, I'm glad the hole is not in my end of the boat? The people in your community. How genuinely are you concerned about the events of the United States of America and the Christian example that you and I must give? How genuinely are you concerned about the people in your family, the people in your church family? These are good questions to ask as we look at the characteristics of one of Paul's associates. True servants of God are sympathetic in their caring towards other people. Secondly, we find that Paul describes Timothy as a humble man. Paul wrote in the 21st chapter of verse number 20, uh, uh, the 21st chapter of verse number 2. He said, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, most of us look out for our own interest. And we should do that to a certain extent, to some degree. But unfortunately, many people don't go further than that. They stop right there. In Timothy's primary interest, what Paul is saying is Jesus Christ. His second interest is that of others. And his third interest is that of himself. There's an acronym that maybe you've heard over the years and picked it up from Sunday school, joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, and yourself. And I don't know if that's something that this Timothy generated, but at least he demonstrated it in his life according to his reference, according to what Paul said. It appears that Timothy embraced and he embodied that principle, and I would say so should we. Let us be examples of Jesus Let us reach out to others and let us have an interest in ourselves. And thirdly, Paul describes Timothy as a proven or mature man. It's there in the text in Philippians 2, uh, 22, where he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. It's a wonderful thing when someone has been tested and proven faithful in the ministry. And Timothy had done that. In our particular uh, movement, we have several levels of ministry qualification. There's that of the Christian worker or that of a, a credentialed worker. And then there's that of being a licensed minister. And by the way, congratulations to Minnie Lee who just achieved that in her process of becoming a chaplain. Congratulations, we have another reverend in our congregation. And then after you are a licensed minister, for at least a two-year period, you must show yourself proven, and then you qualify to be ordained. Ordained individuals are those who have put their time in. We have many, many ordained ministers in this congregation. At one time I surveyed the congregation and there were 160 credential holders. So you never know who's sitting around you who is a reverend. We don't use a lot of titles here, but there are people that have proven themselves in ministry. And there are many people that are unlicensed and you have proven yourself. That is most of you. Timothy began just like all people. He began in an area of service, He was a novice, and then he was a rookie. But he stuck with the work, and he saw it through, and he was a proven individual. Recently, I had to get some blood work done, routine, yearly physical, and so on. I went to the lab, and I was sitting in a chair, and I had a number. It was like going to the motor vehicle department. A girl came out, a young lady with a mask on. She said, you're number 51? I said, yes. She said, okay, we're all set for you. She said, let me change the number. She said, throw throw your tab and this little ticket into this waste paper basket. We're walking down the hall, and she asked me a question. I finally opened my mouth. She said, Pastor Charlie, it's so-and-so, so-and-so. Man, is that you from the youth group? at Evangel Temple, from our mission trips, from singing on the worship team, from going in various uh, places. And you were always the jokester. You were always the fun of the party. You were so outgoing. You were always so fun. And uh, you were a person that uh, would light up the room when you walked in. Um, And you didn't like blood and you didn't like needles. And now you're going to stick me. Oh, I've been doing this for a couple of years. She said, Pastor, you know, I never, I never like this kind of stuff, but they tell me I'm good at it. So she looks at my arms, and I've got what they call farmer's arms. Kind of hard to find a vein. You know, farmers used to hand milk cows. And one time, one of these vampires told me, you've got farmer's arms. And so uh, I must say, it was the smoothest transition from a girl from the youth group. I guess that's what longevity does at a given place because you see people grow up. You see them mature. Those of you that are teachers and instructors, professors in in the education field, you see some of your students that used to give you the most difficult times and they're at the epitome of success. Proven ministry, growth in our spiritual life, it's a wonderful thing that happens. And Timothy is one who was a proven veteran. He was worthy of of greater responsibility. Where are we today in our service for the Lord? Are we just rookies or are we veterans? You see, the more spiritually mature we become, the more useful we can become in the Lord's work. I pray that we're all growing. I pray that we're a reflection of of Philippians 1.6. You know, be patient. God is still working with us. Paul told us to work out our salvation. Now, again, he didn't say work for your salvation. He said work it out. To work towards maturity and completeness. Completeness. We need to keep on growing. We need to become more experienced and not be in it immature, not be tired, not be slothful, or not be lazy. One day, a man went to the doctor, just as I recently did, different uh, situation for a physical, but this particular man went to the doctor because his system was slowing down. He was losing energy, at least his wife was telling him that. So he told the doctor he wasn't able to do the things around the house that he's always done, and his wife kept reminding him of that, the things that she was asking him to do. So when the examination, the test, the blood work was complete, the man said to the doctor, doc, I can take it. Just tell me in plain English what's wrong with me. I'm strong enough to take what you've got to tell me. Okay, the doctor replied. In plain English, you're just a lazy dude. In plain English, you're just a lazy guy. The guy looked at this doctor, he said, man, that's a relief, said the man. Now give me the medical terms so I can tell my wife. (laughs) I pray that that there are none of us that are spiritually lazy. Billy Graham once said, when it comes to spiritual things, we never retire from Christian service. That's good news. We never retire from Christian services. He said, our role may change as we age, but we must continue to do our part. Timothy is a great example for you and I to follow. He's a great example to the church in Philippi, an example for us, because he was concerned, he was humble, spiritually proven. Now, before we look at what Paul said in closing about the example of Epaphroditus, we need to realize that we know almost nothing about this guy, except that he was a member of the church in Philippi who had become a servant to Paul. Now quickly, when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, their hearts were moved with action. This little church, and Paul was the one who started it seven years before. They decided to send a financial gift to um, Paul by the hands of Epaphroditus. He is the man that's going to carry this gift. And not only is he going to carry the gift, but he's going to hang out with Paul and be like his assistant. He's going to be his aide. And in addition to being the bearer of the financial gift, it's intended that he would do this job of a personal aide. And clearly that says a number of things about Epaphroditus. It says that he was a trustworthy individual. He was a person that could be trusted to travel a long distance with someone else's money. It was uh, almost two years ago in 2018, I received a phone call, totally unexpected. It was from the World Missions uh, Department, an association of it, And they knew that I traveled on mission trips quite often. And they said, Pastor Charlie, would you be available to go to Russia in um, like four or five days? And I asked uh, what the situation was. And they said, well, we want you to be a legal mole. In other words, a mole is, you know, maneuvers underground. And, um, we need to have $10,000 carried into the country uh, to one of our Assembly of God churches there. Legally, you can only carry in 10000 but they wanted 30000 so there were three of us. And I grabbed the opportunity. I left on a Monday, and I was home by Friday and flew into Moscow and delivered these funds and had wonderful fellowship with this church that was being persecuted heavily. So I I have a little idea what it's like to be an Epaphroditus, to carry funds and to be considered trustworthy. But not only was he considered trustworthy, this man was a brave man because it took courage to travel anywhere back in these days. And it took courage for me, by the way, to go to Russia because Paul, if Paul was condemned and he somehow got stuck into um, a situation where he was guilty that Epaphroditus could have become guilty by association. I'm glad I didn't read this text before I went to Russia because maybe I could have stuck, been stuck there with a persecuted church. So the trustworthy and courageous um, Aphroditus traveled to Paul with a gift and he becomes seriously ill. When he arrives there with Paul, maybe he had the first COVID experience. I don't know, but it was something that really took him down and he became ill and we don't know what happened, but the news of his illness gets back to the church in Philippi and they are concerned not only for Epaphroditus' life, but for other things as well. There's been some whispering, perhaps, saying, wow, we sent this guy. We wanted to help Paul, but now he becomes a burden to Paul. And maybe we should have sent someone else. Maybe we should have given him a physical or something, that we had a stronger person. And some are thinking, you know, I wonder if he really got sick or if he's just exaggerating. In the people in Philippi, they're thinking these things, and Paul certainly dispels those notions with his remarkable statement of reference concerning this man, Epaphroditus. So we look at this statement, and let's notice how Paul describes him just as we've looked at how Paul described Timothy. First, Paul describes Epaphroditus as a serving man. Paul wrote here in the scripture, again in, in uh, Philippians 2.25, and we're just following the text here, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my deeds. Notice how what he says here. Epaphroditus was an active servant in relationship to Paul. He was a brother in relationship to the ministry. And he is a busy worker in relationship to spiritual war. And the guy is also in the trenches as a soldier. And additionally, Epaphroditus was a messenger. He was a minister for the Philippian church. This is quite an assortment of job descriptions. He must have been quite a man. So the question for us today is if somebody described you and your Christian responsibility and your work, what would that description be like? Hopefully, the ways that you and I serve is a long list and it's a significant list. You may think your position is insignificant. Maybe you're a counter, maybe you're a teller, an usher, but you're an important person. Because you're bailing out the other end of the boat. You're doing your job. Those of you that are in our music department. And you come and you work so hard on Wednesday nights. And you prepare. How significant that is. And hopefully the ways that you work. You see it as a very significant role. And hopefully we are great servants. In heart. Like Epaphroditus. Secondly Paul describes Epaphroditus as a conscientious person he is a man that is sensitive paul wrote in the 26th verse for he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard that he was ill so this man has worked and aided paul but at the same time he's carried this burden for his home church because he feels like maybe he's let them down he came here and he became ill And just like Timothy, Epaphroditus was concerned about other people. Epaphroditus had been the one who was sick and he nearly dies. And yet he's concerned about the fact that others are worried about him and they're praying for him. And sometimes you can go a little overboard with that. I remember had a lady in our church in St. Louis and she was quite ill. And um, she liked to talk a lot. But uh, we wanted to pray for her. Because of her illness. So she was one of these type of persons. We put her in a chair and um, when we were praying for her, she kept interrupting our prayer because she wanted to take charge of the prayer. and it's like, we want to minister to you. And Epaphroditus, I'm sure that he's concerned about his home church. they want to minister to him and he carries this burden because he is so conscientious about what he's doing. He's a man who is conscious of the feelings and the needs of others. Christianity is a religion of the heart. And godly men and women are to have conscientious hearts. I pray that we have a sensitive heart that are burdened for other people. And it's obvious because of what you do for our inner city, for what you're doing for those that are around us, that we have a concern Third, Paul describes Epaphroditus as a sacrificial man. Or, um, Paul wrote in verses 29 through 30, he says, so then welcome him. When he comes back to you, don't look at him like a sick guy or some type of an invalid. Paul's given these straightforward credentials. There's no double talk in his reference. And he says, so then... Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. People like him. Don't just honor him, but honor individuals that act like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for uh, the help you yourself could not give. So give this guy some credit and, and, and slap him on the back and don't worry about him not being productive while he was with me. What Paul was trying to say is that Epaphroditus put his life on the line for the sake of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he came here to do a work for me. He came here to do a great job. So today, I just want to remind you, there are many ways to sacrifice ourselves in the service of the Lord. And it it could include the sacrifice of your time, It could include the sacrifice of your efforts, the sacrifice of our money, of our possessions, but whatever the sacrifice is, it's always worth it. We see these wonderful, wonderful characteristics in these two just regular Joes, regular guys like us, but yet they are lifted up by the Apostle Paul. And um, Epaphroditus is to be commended, And not only commended, but I think he is to be imitated as well. As Paul said to the church, look at these men. So there's a great need for people of God to serve and to sacrifice for the Lord. And I hope that all of us have been encouraged today by these examples of individuals. Remember, they are people that God is continually working in their lives, bringing them to that point of completion, which will be on the day of Jesus Christ. Those two men were ordinary people. They were just like you and I, yet they were sympathetic, they were sensitive, they were conscientious, they were selfless, they were humble, they were serving, they were um, sacrificial, and they were seasoned servants or mature, spiritually mature. And because of their commitment, God was able to work through them for his glory. And may that happen in our lives, that God works through us. Let's pray.